Hello everyone and welcome to the 14th episode of the Assassin's Creed podcast. I am Andy Binige, one of your community managers on Assassin's Creed, joined as always by... Uh, Gabe Graziani, a community developer on Assassin's Creed Syndicate. Um, how you, I, you know what, it just, it just occurred to me that you pronounce your last name on these, so Justin has no excuse, <laughs> none whatsoever. Like, I don't know how many times I've tried to be like, oh, no, it's, just, it's, it's really simple, it's just Binigay. Yeah. It's really easy. I mean, I didn't know how to pronounce it for the longest time, either until you arrived here in the studio. Yes. That aside, we should hopefully be able to pronounce our guest's name properly because it seems pretty simple. But uh, Jonathan Dumont is joining us today. He is the world designer on Assassin's Creed Syndicate. I hope I got that right. Yeah, sort of. Yeah, that's good. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Uh, we're going to be talking about industrial London. Uh, that's, of course, where Assassin's Creed Syndicate is being set in. Uh, so we're going to be talking all about that and uh, Jonathan's work on the project and all the cool stuff that you're going to get to see when the game launches. So let's get right into it. We're going to start with, um, can you tell us a little bit actually about your work um, at Ubisoft or prior to getting onto Assassin's Creed Syndicate? Yeah, um, like uh, this is my first Assassin's Creed, and I'm uh, working as a world director for uh, Assassin's Creed uh, Syndicate. And prior to that, uh, I used to work in uh, Ubisoft uh, early in the days when we opened the studio in Montreal uh, on brands like uh, Rainbow Six and Splinter Cell. And lately, um, I've been working uh, for six years as a lead uh, level designer and senior designer on World of Warcraft. So that's pretty much it. Man. (laughs) So, little known fact, Gabe is a huge fan of World of Warcraft. Yeah. There's always somebody out there. (laughs) No, we we actually, uh, when we invited you to the studio uh, a few months ago to present to the team, uh, we were using my World of Warcraft account to wander around. Oh, yeah, yeah. I remember that. Okay. What, what are you, a level 80 panda? What? No, 100. Oh, I'm sorry. 100 Worgen Rogue. So no rating for me because my guild has too many rogues in it. Oh, okay. <laughs> I, I know nothing about World of Warcraft. So <laughs> I'm the noob here. You're in the reserve pool. That's it. Yeah, you They wait for you. Yes. <laughs> All right. So Okay, that's interesting. So, of course, you have a lot of experience, not just in Ubisoft, but in the industry in general. Uh, so, I mean, that's, that's one thing that I, I, I think our community love hearing is sort of like where the people who are working on the game have come from and sort of what they've done. Because a lot of people are able to pinpoint, say, a previous game that you worked on or something that they liked. And they're like, well, well that bodes well for this particular game. So it's I, I know a lot of people who are listening are going to go, wow, that's, that's great that he worked on World of Warcraft, which is a hugely successful game. <laughs> So yeah, okay. So uh, let's let's dive into, of of course, the industrial revolution uh, in London and where Assassin's Creed Syndicate is being set in. Uh, tell us a little bit about how that came to be and and how you've worked to sort of like overall depict that in the game. Uh, yeah, uh, well, it's like any decision; it's mostly a team decision and what drives the um, the dev team. You know, like what excites us. And um, that time period, uh, 1868 London, had such a, uh, such a level of contrast. Uh, a lot of ideas were being uh, pushed through in society at that point. And um, it's pretty much the, we felt it was pretty much the foundation of the actual society or uh, society today. And uh, we thought it was a good, you know, like a good, uh, good step for the, the franchise. So 
we we started exploring uh, the setting a lot and we just you know kept loving it and just started building it from there so in terms of like uh the 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 job description for a world director like uh in terms of i mean you you're you sit fairly up uh up high on the hierarchy right like so you have to offer direction to a variety of teams what what is that what is what do your obligations typically entail yeah um it's mostly um focused on level design but uh level design being a little different than world design so uh it's for us it's uh, world design so i had um when i used to work in uh prior positions uh there's a lot of um uh, not directing but mostly guiding uh art decisions also uh, going uh in establishing what is the fantasy of our world and uh working hand in hand with art and and design to build you know a cohesive world and an interesting world for our uh, fans to look at and actually explore and play in it so that's pretty much uh trying to make sure everybody's on the same page and try to offer uh a sound, uh, soundly designed world, but actually also a, a a good sightseeing world at the same time. It's interesting you bring one thing up that um, we we'd spoken to Mac uh, in a previous episode of the podcast, and he'd said the same thing that in his role as a creative director, but he do, he he said he saw himself more as a guide for the team. He did a lot of guiding as opposed to uh, not well directing or. You know, dictating from on high, this is how things should be, right? He, he felt it was more of a collaborative process. I guess that's the way, I mean, it struck me that you said the same thing, that it's more guiding other teams to, you know, to work together to, to come to the same goal, right? Yeah, you're more involved in the earlier design process when there's less people and just setting in the guidelines of what you expect the world to be or what type of activities you're going to be seeing it. But then the team uh, takes over, you know, and just drives drives it and design uh, designs the world the way they see it with using those guidelines and you're pretty much there to just make sure it stays somewhat in the direction that is cohesive and uh, when there's you know uh, conflict or you know like uh, on ideas you're pretty much there to say all right let's do this instead of that you know so that's pretty much that's pretty much the role at that point and you know there's a uh, making sure that the, the fantasy of 1868 London is respected in, in that sense of being a little bit of a gatekeeper for that and making sure that, you know, we have an interesting layout and that, you know, keeps improving, but improving in the right direction. So I think, uh, like, like I think you're touching on it a little bit here, but I'm curious, like, specific to uh, the Industrial Revolution, Victorian age era London, um, what were your priorities uh, approaching Syndicate? Yeah, Um we knew we wanted a faster-paced experience uh, right off the bat because the, um, there's a lot of traffic, like uh, carriages and uh, yeah, uh, trains, uh, platform boats also. It's a much uh, faster-paced uh, experience, I would say. Much faster, at, le- at least faster. And um, the, given the mock-up, the, the makeup of the, the city, it's much taller also. So we wanted um, like taller buildings. It feels a lot more downtown-ish in certain parts than uh, most Assassin's Creed we had. Uh, so making sure that we build uh, the layout accordingly to those new speeds and that new uh, play experience. Um, to give you an example, like the... the we, we have a road tool that helps us build uh, some of the streets and some uh, mock-up uh, our, our, our layouts for our, our districts. Um, that gives us a much more um, realistic feeling to the city, like wider streets and people on sidewalks, carts in the streets. So 
we had to find new ways of navigating to bridge those gaps and making sure that it's not tedious to go up and then uh, like up in the buildings that like now we have like in certain cases like six seven story buildings and compared to uh previously we had roughly uh rarely uh, over four story building so that that climb can become tedious if you don't have a new tool like we do we did that sort of pushed the rope launcher into um, into uh, into our project. Um, so yeah, making sure that we those are the base of designs that we we build our city from. You know, so that that was that was the the main focus, making it a little, fa- a little bit faster. And then the second thing that was clearly uh, apparent when we started looking at London and when we visited it uh, actually was the the contrast of um, the north the North Shore and the South Shore. Uh, the South Shore has changed. Uh, it's not the same thing now, but it used to be super industrialized with uh, factories and warehouses and uh, row houses where uh, workers used to live. A much poorer, also uh, section of the city, compared to the North, where it's much more the uh, iconic London that everybody sort of knows or have a, an idea of what it is, like with the, the clock tower and St. Paul's Cathedral and Trafalgar Square. So those that starch contrast was really interesting, and it's divided up by the river, and we really wanted to push. That also as part as a as the base component of our layout. Yeah, I uh, one thing that uh, I have and, and Gabe has as well because we've we've been playing a lot of it recently. Um, one thing that we've we've definitely been able to see is that contrast in the boroughs. Um, I, I used to live in London, and so it's one of those things that like I, I I find myself walking along like maybe one of the iconic bridges, and I'm like. Hey, that still looks kind of the same. Like there's this elements of it that still, you know, take you back to. I walked across this bridge, whether it be London Bridge or whatever, and and then um, so yeah, the the borough contrast, and and it's not just in in the buildings or even in the feel and whatever it is. It's you get it in. The, the clothing that people are wearing, you know, to one side of the Thames, you have people in their top, you know, their bowler hats or whatever, and, and their suits and, and going along a horse-drawn carriage, and then you cross over to the other side, and then it's like a lot more muddy, there's a lot more in the way of shacks and stuff, the buildings aren't nearly as tall, people are wearing rags, you know, it's very industrialized, like you said, um, so it's it's fantastic, and it's a testament to the work that you guys have done to be able to 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 bring that out and visually you know, uh, signpost that for, for players. Yeah, that, that's also like, um, it's it's fun that you're touching on that. The the, the city has evolved, yes, in uh, over 130 years, or no, no wait, not 90, <laughs> like uh, over 150 years maybe. Uh, city has evolved, but the, the base of the city hasn't changed much, you know, so um, there were like shapes that we needed to keep uh, when building it, like uh, if you, you are familiar with London, so if you're Going from uh, where Big Ben is and that area and, uh, where the Parliament is, and then you go to, say, uh, let's say, St. Paul's. It's an elbow-shaped um, uh, series of streets that, that make you cross Trafalgar Square. And the essence of the city is sort of built that way, like along those lines. So uh, nailing that was super important, making sure that if you know London, hey, you'll get a sense that you're still in... London has changed, but not that much, you know, that we, you still get that, so that you can recognize it a little bit more. And the other thing that you touched on briefly before we, we move on to something else is the rope launcher and, of course, how it makes, you know, exploration and navigation of the city different. Um, of course, we're coming into a city that traditionally has had taller buildings than, than some of the previous installments. Uh, I, the rope launcher just makes it so much easier to... I mean, we have fans who enjoy that climb especially of the the really iconic structures but being able to 
being able to just look up, launch to a particular point, but not only that, getting across what were wider streets, yeah. right? So from point to point across a street, uh, I, I love the addition of the rope launcher and how how it's really made that. It's 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 a game changer, and that's not just that's not just pulling out terms that we, you know <laughs> want people to say. Like I think it's really really affected the navigation for the better well, that's cool i like i'm glad you like it but you know for purists you know like if, if somebody's just doesn't you, you can choose not to use it it's not an obligatory uh, tool to use you know but it, it does you know something that we underestimated when we started building with it is that we we saw it as a faster travel and vanish you know vanishing tool uh, mostly but it actually helps stealth uh, a lot, quite a lot. So you can hide, and then you can change position much faster. So you, you're, you're not exposing yourself as much in the game, and you're uh, you can approach setups a little bit more in a 360 manner when when you're doing that uh, without being detected or having a tedious run around. So there's um, uh, once you get in a setting uh, a setup that you want to conquer or um, take over a certain area in the game, the uh, the possibilities can you can change you can change your approach or change your strategy much faster than you could before. So uh, we didn't anticipate it as much when we started building, but it's something that w- that came out a little bit more when we started playing with it. So. That is so gratifying to hear because, as Andy uh, loves to point out, back when we had multiplayer, my favorite thing they used to call me a roofer because I would run along the roofs and I would uh, you know. Uh, stab, do do air assassinations on my on my enemies all the time. That was my favorite thing to do. But I feel like with the addition of the rope launcher, we've added a new type of like player archetype. So it's not just the roofer anymore. Now my my play style is more akin to a spider, because I'll do that air attack and then push rope launcher right back out. I'm in and I'm out like I'm a I'm a phantom. I'm a ghostly spider. The ghostly, uh, yeah, the ghost player. Now you're the ghost player. That's great. I predict one particular playstyle, and, and Gabe's just touched on it, but to add a second element to that is using a tool that we've always had in Assassin's Creed, which is a smoke bomb. Something I did today, actually, before we came on the podcast, I had to air assassinate somebody, but he had a bunch of people around, and I was out of throwing knives to take them all out. So I air assassinated him, dropped a smoke bomb, looked up, line launched it all the way back, rope launched it all the way back to the roof, and most of the guards were none the wiser. It was, it was brilliant. It was so gratifying. I was like, "Oh my god!" I that was assassin like to the core. Yeah, you gotta be careful though, because uh, now in our game, they can the NPCs will follow you. Uh, the guards will follow you on the rooftops. This is oh, also yeah, true. You gotta be a little careful, but that works. Like that's a good strategy. Pretty awesome. Okay, so uh, I think we've covered a lot of the different things, like the the burrow contrast and things like that. Um, and and and, the, and how the river factors into the design of the city. Um, what were some of the challenges that you encountered um, building building London? Like in terms of like, it, were there were there technical challenges? Were there artistic or design challenges that you looked at and you and and the team had to grapple with? Well, all, everything you said before was a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, I think I think it's uh, embracing. The difference from what we wanted to push, and uh, making sure that production-wise we were um, embracing it and not looking just as problems and just find solutions. So um, mainly, like uh, I would say, the biggest the biggest thing was making sure that the size was right, and then that we could uh, afford to have as much contrast as we could uh, in in each uh, in each borough, and making sure that the boroughs are not too big, but they're still big enough to drive around and then everything fits under memory and all that, all that that's always you know challenges and 
performance and uh, everything like that but uh, making sure that uh, the players don't feel lost in the city and one of the cool things one of the solutions that came out is the the, the river really splits the city in two and uh, you can use it you, you, when you're on the river you exactly know where you're at on the map so and it, it doesn't give you a, that big um, that big chunk of land that you never know where you're at and then the landmarks stick out uh, quite a bit like if you look at St. Paul's Cathedral it's just it's just a monster in the middle of the city and you can always relate to it where you're at uh, to find your way so some of the challenges were making sure that the shots uh, showed the right stuff and that you could always uh, use uh, uh, some of the buildings as a, a landmark and that you can that sticks out and drives the player towards and knows where he's at and then the um, you know also having a new traffic system that just is autonomous and that just uh, breathes and lives without you being there. Uh, uh, same deal with the, our train systems and our boats. So those are all you know challenges of city, the city uh, uh, building aspect and just like how are we going to link the trains together and make them loop and they stop at the station. You know what what do we have a how do we make a train schedule? How do we make it? You know traffic variations like so that you feel that some boroughs are there's more people in it and some are more uh, empty uh, those are all you know pretty big challenges i, I would say at, uh, initially at least to build the, the game yeah that's um specifically and, and we'll come on to this in a second with with regards to vehicles and stuff but all the, all the things that you've added with even even stuff on the thames it all has seems to have its own ai like you've said it it exists whether you're there or not. It's just like, people are just going to go on and do their daily thing. Um, they're going to make deliveries. <laughs> That's one thing I noticed. Like people will be on carts and they make a delivery and then they get back in the cart and go on. And, that's that's so fascinating and I think one thing that I like to do and a lot of our community and fans like to do is sometimes just stop in the middle of an Assassin's Creed game and just watch the world around them go by uh, and and do its own thing. So it's it's particularly nice to hear that, especially in a city that was super hustle and bustle, uh, you're going to get to see a lot of that. You can get to see people in their daily lives. In a lot, you know, like I had a, a time period in production, like uh, around Alpha, where for a, at least a month, you know, I would stand in the middle of some place and say, wow, that looks, you know, that feels great. You know, like I, we were, we're nailing it. And usually that's not happening when you're directing it. It's just like, <laughs> like, oh crap, where is this thing going? You know, like, and but I, I was not seeing, yes, there's, you know, there's probably things that people will like less or, you know, like everybody's got personal taste, but I was actually liking that it, it was really coming alive. So that, that was something that I, uh, that uh, I thought we hit pretty well. So let's talk about you know, the one thing a lot of people are also excited about, which is vehicles. And, and particularly, again, the, this affects the, the navigation dynamic uh, because, you know, vehicles themselves just exist whether you're there or not. <laughs> one thing that I always kind of cringe if I'm crossing the street and I'm not doing so using the rope launcher is, is this horse going to run into me? <laughs> <laughs> yes, he will probably. There's a chance you, a chance you get crushed. <laughs> I've been desynced by a carriage before. <laughs> It's it's embarrassing, frankly. <laughs> it's not it's not fun. It happened to me too, so you're fine. But I mean, like you you can talk a little bit to this. Uh, you have to treat in in each particular vehicle, you know, almost sort of like, uh, well, it's an object, but almost sort of like its own, like you know, NPC, right? Like you because each one has its own AI, and then you can get onto the roofs of them as well. Tell us a little bit about how you know, like 
all of that came about with regards to changing the dynamic of your your typical Assassin's Creed. Yeah, the making a living, breathing traffic uh, system was probably a key. So if you're not playing with anything in the game, the traffic will obey the street um, the street layout and just stop where the intersections are. If there's people crossing a wait and you know everything like that. But uh, as soon as you start interacting with it, there's also behaviors that kick in where you're going to move slightly out of your way. And that was, you know, we had to uh, find the right balance for that and making sure our streets are wide enough. But the thing that was, you know, striking us at first was it really made a much more realistic setting. <laughs> like people are not in the middle of the street, the carts are. And, you know, so, so that's that it, it sort of gave us a much different feel to our game. Um, you know the carriages, though, like uh, as a gameplay, much more of a gameplay feature. They, they, you can do quite a lot with them. Uh, of course, you can travel faster, and that's basically the, the first you know, the first thing you can do. But you can uh, you can chase uh, NPCs with it, uh, enemies. So if an enemy runs away, you can take a cart and run uh, go away faster, and you 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 can chase them uh, using your cart. Um, you, you'll also get a uh, the police, the police have their own their own uh, vehicle, and they're pretty hardcore. <laughs> they'll follow you around. <laughs> they'll get off the cart, and uh, yeah, uh, you better be a, a nice person. Um, and then uh, you can also fight on the top of the, so you can jump on top of your uh, your uh, your carriage and jump onto another carriage or onto a, another climbable uh, surface like a building or stuff like that. So it gives you a much uh, more dynamic uh, feeling and the NPCs will uh, you know, I always say NPC but you know guards will get into your uh, on top of your cart and you can start fighting with them um, you can also you know if if you see let's I'll give you an example if you see a police uh, officer coming uh, on the on his carriage you can shoot the horse to you know make him uh, go mad and he'll just run uh, run away and that's even that's a you can use that as a vanishing tool uh, also as as well so there's a also quite a variety of uh, a variety of uh, of um, different type of carriages. Like uh, you have uh, from the size of an omnibus that had a two story, a two like a two decker uh, thing with uh, a bunch of uh, 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 civilians on it that goes a little bit slower. But once it, once it gets going, it's pretty dangerous and it rams a lot harder. And then you have like up to the a, a super small. Uh, we call them a handsome. It's a small uh, two place cart and it. It's much faster and uh, it's uh, easier to to uh, maneuver. So there's quite a quite a bit of interesting stuff with uh, carriages. Yeah, there is. Uh, people are gonna have to really sort of learn those a little bit, especially if you're trying to get away from from someone. Because you you might be wondering why are they catching up to me? Like, What's this faster? No, they just they just have a smaller carriage to pull. <laughs> just sh- shoot their horse then. Yeah. <laughs> I always go for the carriage that has two horses because I'm like, well, this must be faster because it's two horses. It's usually carrying a much larger, like, carriage behind it. But still, I'm just like, oh, man, I want to get the one with two horses because two must be better than one, right? Well, usually those have better ramming power. So when you you can ram other, we have a mechanic to ram other carriages and you'll destroy them much faster and you'll put them out of commotion. So it's, yes, break, break other people's carts. That's good. I will say the one thing that I was super impressed with, and again, this happened the other day when we were playing, if you have an enemy on the top of your carriage, he will interrupt you. He will 
come and pull you off and be like, I'm here, fight me, <laughs> kind of thing, right? He's not just going to stand there watching you drive along and trying to take him off. They, they will pull you off and initiate a fight. So I thought that was extremely impressive because you don't, you don't want that to happen, right? Especially if you're trying to get somewhere quickly. <laughs> you need to take care of the person who's then jumped onto your carriage. It's like, excuse me, sir, get off. <laughs> well, a good thing that you could try, like, uh, try to set a little bit of mayhem in the city and wait for somebody to get on your your carriage and just drive on the bridge and just make a sharp turn you'll see that dude <laughs> that dude's gonna go it's, it's kind of hard to time but it can happen you can you can send that guy in the river it happens here you go folks all the tips before you play yeah seriously <laughs> now we, we we touched on a little bit of it but we wanted to get a little bit more into the whole uh the concept of the open world con- conquest loop um, can you describe a little bit how that works and how it's tied to both player progression um, for the character progression, but then also the story? Yeah, um, so the, the first thing that uh, we were looking at is making sure that we have a much more dynamic world, uh, not not from a speed pers- uh, perspective, but more from a gameplay interaction perspective. So um, Basically, how we wanted the the story lended itself to it uh, a little bit more. So we had um, the Templars own you know the city, and the some Templar representative or bosses. We'll call them bosses, but you know, uh, not necessarily a boss boss. Uh, they own a, uh, a borough, so uh, they have control over it. And to take it away from from them, you need to. Uh, there's a series of activity that divides the terrain, uh, like the the streets of, of that borough and by taking them one by one uh, those those small sections you'll uh, you'll eventually uh, take over um, take over the, the gang boss and become the, the borough leader so you basically take their gang out and you put your gang in um, so th- that's done by completing a series of uh, conquest activities that we, we call these conquest activities are not just standalone activities they, they are story driven because they are attached to um, specific characters in the game, associates we call them, which you build a reputation with them, loyalty, and then um, by building the loyalty with them, you get upgrades on your weapons and, you know, uh, a better relationship with them, and uh, so I'll give you an example, we have a, um, uh, in in London, a lot of small sections of of the city are called slums, and they were uh, gang-ridden, we call those gang strongholds, so you need to Get, get there, there's some secondary objectives, but you basically need to kill everybody in there to move in your gang after that. Uh, uh, Henry Green, which is an assassin, has um, a stake in, in it. So uh, he's, he's actually, every time you do it, you, you get, earn reputation with him. So that's basically uh, one of the, the ways to, do, to look at it. So you, a player that's interested in some of the rewards that uh, a, a specific associate would uh, give to him could just be trying to do those uh, those activities first, you know, and and try to uh, take his loyalty with uh, with that associate uh, high and get those rewards early. Or you could, you know, try to get the borough uh, rewards by completing a, a borough instead. So there and there's, you know, like I'm not going to spoil too much here, but the, there's a you could also um, take the um, uh, the approach of uh, completing a borough, but and there's an importance with the main storyline and you know in uh, conqu- uh, conquering boroughs and that's part also of the main storyline so it's not just side activities but they're intertwining a little bit more with uh, the main content of the game so. 
Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Yeah, no, I and I think specifically the 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 slum like the slum liberation uh, type of mission was highlighted in our E three demo. Yes, that was that was it. When uh, when when Jacob and Evie go after Bloody Nora, right? Yep, and we have four of those uh, conquest activities with a lot of variants on them. So uh, we have the uh, the gang stronghold. Um, we also have the child liberation, and uh, which I'm not going to spoil it as to do with child labor. Uh, and then uh, there's also a Templar hunt, which are uh, Templars that you can kill a certain way to get more uh, reward uh, out of it. It's pr- actually pretty fun, and there's some some funny things that can happen with that. And there's also bounty hunting where you can capture dead or alive and bring back alive. A, a target will give you more uh, reward. Uh, so that th- th- those that's pretty much the meat of uh, uh, the borrow conquest. And then each borrow will end up in a gang war. Um, a gang war conflict where your gang against their gang and you know the winner takes it all at the end then that happens as a capper there's also something that's interesting the um the borough leaders uh templar leaders you know when you're messing around with their borough they'll they'll hunt you down sometimes in the game so that that will happen and those become surprises for uh for uh, for uh, our players <laughs> Yeah, I, I believe that when that happens, actually it creates unique opportunities because you, in some situations, you're not going to have to do all of the particular things to draw that borough leader out. If you've annoyed them enough, they'll suddenly appear after a particular uh, part of a conquest loop that you've done, and then you could get to chase them. Yep. <laughs> and take them out before the gang war even starts. And so, yeah. Yeah, and sometimes they'll come out and whip your butt. Too. Yeah, <laughs> yes. I, I found this out the hard way. Yeah. I was underleveled and underprepared for for what happened next. So yes, that's so. I mean, that's that's a good kind of look at you know sort of industrial London and what fans can you know look forward to uh, when when they get into Assassin's Creed Syndicate. I I, I mean, I'm gonna I'm not just saying this. I'm super excited, and I just want to say congratulations to you guys on the work that you guys have done on the world because. Again, like I said, being a former resident of London, it's stunning how so many things still look the way they are today um, as they were then. Uh, and climbing Big Ben was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, did you did you use a rope launcher to get up? So I was I I climbed part of it, and then there was a bit where I could perch, and then I was like, why not? So I used the rope launcher to the top, uh, or at least close to the top, because you still have to climb the rest of the way. But no, it was so fantastic to just see and then look across london because that's that's the tallest point and it's it's beautiful well thank you very much thank you cool and so i mean on that note i think we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up unless there's anything else you wanted to bring up gabe i don't think so i i do have to just do a special shout out to those bounty hunter missions so because those you know nothing against any of the other missions because they're all super fun but i just i love the bounty hunter missions that I they're the I, they're the first ones I do. Usually in games, I'm kind of like a delayed gratification person. Like I'll I'll leave like my favorite missions until the end. But no, when I get when I arrive in the borough, I'm just like, all right, where are the bounty hunter missions? I'm gonna go get these guys. Yeah, and with the new course mechanic, uh, like kidnapping um, uh, some characters, it, it they can be pretty challenging to bring back the dude alive. That, that's oh not, yeah, that's not always easy. So, well, you have to have a plan. You have to have a plan of how you're going to get in, how you're going to get out. Like, it's, I, I love it. Oh, cool. See, my, my favorite one at a time before we end is actually the child liberation ones. Oh. 
It's, but that that plays well into my play style about being super stealthy. Like, because those are tough if you're not stealthy. Yeah, man, there's there's quite a bit of strategies, that, different strategies you can take for those too. And the because um, you can you have your own uh, your own gang that you can manipulate, and you know. So if if you upgrade, you know, by by doing all of this, you can. The one thing that we're not talking about is that you do have uh, gang upgrades where you can just change the ecosystem of of. of of the world a little bit and so uh by boosting up your guys and buying off a uh, new um archetypes for them and they, they can get pretty strong so you can just come in gun blazing with those guys and just kick the door open it's like yeah we're taking this and then that's that's kind of cool too you know like that's it's cool that you do it still i just do it like rambo style with my dudes and it was just walking just clean it out all right lads we're gonna be liberating this <laughs> I'm gonna go back to my desk and try that exact yes. strategy. Cause yeah, no, we haven't mentioned you can you can recruit guys. Mm-hmm. A lot of people have asked us, you know, like whether or not the gang mechanic is similar to what we had in Brotherhood, where you call the Brotherhood in um, with what we used to call the BAM, the Brotherhood Assistance Maneuver. Um, it doesn't work quite the same, but as you're walking along, you can you could shout out to your guys and be like, you you you're with me, and like then you enter as like a group, like you have a group of rooks with you that will fight alongside you. Um. Yeah, the biggest difference I would say is that they live in the world, so you can just grab them off the street. And it, the, the cool thing is, you can upgrade them to drive carts and stuff like that. So they'll, you know, they'll if you uh, ask them to be part of your group, and you can up, have uh, up to f- uh, five um, with you. So they'll just get on your cart if you're, you know, and if there if there's not enough space, they'll drive in one and they'll follow you. So you're you're like driving through the city with your little. Uh, little gang and uh, <laughs> it's like yeah nobody's gonna bother you or else yeah. <laughs> with your backup getaway driver yes that's, that's it. what it is <laughs> oh my goodness i'm so excited <laughs> okay so thank you so much for joining us jonathan it was, it was a pleasure having you on to to talk about industrial london yeah anytime uh, you can. You're probably listening to this on SoundCloud or iTunes. You can find us uh, on the official SoundCloud. You can find us on uh, Facebook, Twitter uh, at Assassin's Creed, um, and you can find us on Tumblr as well as Assassin's Creed, uh, and pretty much everywhere on the internet. Be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel as well as Assassin's Creed. We have a nice little tick, so you know it's verified. Yeah, yes. look for that on all the channels. I think except for Tumblr, yeah. it's the only one we don't have a little. I don't think they offer the little verify verification. So, until next time, stay safe, assassins.